Section 14 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 5, Chapters 1 to 6. In the preceding books, I seem to have accomplished the object which I proposed to myself, since in them I have discussed how a benefit ought to be bestowed, and how it ought to be received. These are the limits of this action. When I dwell upon it further, I am not obeying the orders, but the caprices of my subject, which ought to be followed whither it leads, not whither it allures us to wander. For now and then something will arise, which although it is all but unconnected with the subject, instead of being a necessary part of it, still thrills the mind with a certain charm. However, since you wish it to be so, let us go on, after having completed our discussion of the heads of the subject itself, to investigate those matters which, if you wish for truth, I must call adjacent to it, not actually connected with it. To examine which carefully is not worth one's while, and yet is not labour in vain. No praise, however, which I can give to benefits, does justice to you, a beauteous liberalis, a man of excellent disposition, and naturally inclined to bestow them. Never have I seen any one esteem even the most trifling services more kindly. Indeed, your good nature goes so far as to regard whatever benefit is bestowed upon any one as bestowed upon yourself. You are prepared to pay even what is owed by the ungrateful, that no one may regret having bestowed benefits. You yourself are so far from any boastfulness, you are so eager at once to free those whom you serve from any feeling of obligation to you, that you like, when giving anything to any one, to seem not so much to be giving a present as returning one, and therefore what you give in this manner will all the more fully be repaid to you. For, as a rule, benefits come to one who does not demand repayment of them, and just as glory follows those who avoid it, so men receive a more plentiful harvest in return for benefits bestowed upon those who had it in their power to be ungrateful. With you there is no reason why those who have received benefits from you should not ask for fresh ones, nor would you refuse to bestow others, to overlook and conceal what you have given, and to add to it more and greater gifts, since it is the aim of all the best men and the noblest dispositions to bear with an ungrateful man until you make him grateful. Be not deceived in pursuing this plan, Vice, if you do not too soon begin to hate it, will yield to virtue. Thus it is that you are especially pleased with what you think the grandly sounding phrase, It is disgraceful to be worsted in a contest of benefits. Whether this be true or not deserves to be investigated, and it means something quite different from what you imagine. For it is never disgraceful to be worsted in any honourable contest, provided that you do not throw down your arms, and that even when conquered you wish to conquer. All men do not strive for a good object with the same strength, resources, and good fortune, upon which depend at all events the issues of the most admirable projects. 
though we ought to praise the will itself, which makes an effort in the right direction. Even though another passes it by with swifter pace, yet the palm of victory does not, as in publicly exhibited races, declare which is the better man, though even in the games chance frequently brings an inferior man to the front. As far as loyalty of feeling goes, which each man wishes to be possessed in the fullest measure on his own side, if one of the two be the more powerful, if he have at his disposal all the resources which he wishes to use, and be favoured by fortune in his most ambitious efforts, while the other, though equally willing, can only return less than he receives, or perhaps can make no return at all, but still wishes to do so, and is entirely devoted to this object, then the latter is no more conquered than he who dies in arms, whom the enemy found it easier to slay than to turn back. To be conquered, which you consider disgraceful, cannot happen to a good man, for he will never surrender, never give up the contest. To the last day of his life he will stand prepared, and in that posture he will die, testifying that though he has received much, yet that he had the will to repay as much as he had received. The Lacedaemonians forbid their young men to contend in the Pancratium or with the Caistus, in which games the defeated party has to acknowledge himself beaten. The winner of a race is he who first reaches the goal. He outstrips the others in swiftness, but not in courage. The wrestler who has been thrown three times loses the palm of victory, but does not yield it up. Since the Lacedaemonians thought it of great importance that their countrymen should be invincible, they kept them away from those contests in which victory is assigned not by the judge or by the issue of the contest itself, but by the voice of the vanquished begging the victor to spare him as he falls. This attribute of never being conquered, which they so jealously guard among their citizens, can be attained by all men through virtue and goodwill, because even when all else is vanquished, the mind remains unconquered. For this cause, no one speaks of the three hundred Fabii as conquered, but slaughtered. Regulus was taken captive by the Carthaginians, not conquered, and so were all other men who have not yielded in spirit when overwhelmed by the strength and weight of angry fortune. So it is with benefits. A man may have received more than he gave, more valuable ones, more frequently bestowed. Yet is he not vanquished? It may be that if you compare the benefits with one another, those which he has received will outweigh those which he has bestowed. But if you compare the giver and the receiver, whose intentions also ought to be considered apart, neither will prove the victor. It often happens that even when one combatant is pierced with many wounds, while the other is only slightly injured, yet they are said to have fought a drawn battle, although the former may appear to be the worse man. No one, therefore, can be conquered in a contest of benefits, if he knows how to owe a debt, if he wishes to make a return for what he has received, and raises himself to the same level with his friend in spirit, though he cannot do so in material gifts. As long as he remains in this temper of mind, as long as he has the wish to declare by proofs that he has a grateful mind, 
what difference does it make upon which side we can count the greater number of presents? You are able to give much. I can do nothing but receive. Fortune abides with you, goodwill alone with me. Yet I am as much on an equality with you as naked or lightly armed men are with a large body armed to the teeth. No one, therefore, is worsted by benefits, because each man's gratitude is to be measured by his will. If it be disgraceful to be worsted in a contest of benefits, you ought not to receive a benefit from very powerful men, whose kindness you cannot return. I mean such as princes and kings, whom fortune has placed in such a station that they can give away much, and can only receive very little and quite inadequate returns for what they give. I have spoken of kings and princes, who alone can cause works to be accomplished, and whose superlative power depends upon the obedience and services of inferiors. But some there are, free from all earthly lusts, who are scarcely affected by any human objects of desire, upon whom fortune herself could bestow nothing. I must be worsted in a contest of benefits with Socrates, or with Diogenes, who walked naked through the treasures of Macedonia, treading the king's wealth under his feet. In good sooth, he must then rightly have seemed, both to himself and to all others whose eyes were keen enough to perceive the real truth, to be superior even to him at whose feet all the world lay. He was far more powerful, far richer even than Alexander, who then possessed everything, for there was more that Diogenes could refuse to receive than that Alexander was able to give. It is not disgraceful to be worsted by these men, for I am not the less brave because you pit me against an invulnerable enemy, nor does fire not burn because you throw into it something over which flames have no power, nor does iron lose its power of cutting, though you may wish to cut up a stone which is hard, impervious to blows, and of such a nature that hard tools are blunted upon it. I give you the same answer about gratitude. A man is not disgracefully worsted in a contest of benefits if he lays himself under an obligation to such persons as these, whose enormous wealth or admirable virtue shut out all possibility of their benefits being returned. As a rule, we are worsted by our parents, for while we have them with us, we regard them as severe and do not understand what they do for us. When our age begins to bring us a little sense, and we gradually perceive that they deserve our love for those very things which used to prevent our loving them, their advice, their punishments, and the careful watch which they used to keep over our youthful recklessness, they are taken from us. Few live to reap any real fruit from children. Most men feel their sons only as a burden. Yet there is no disgrace in being worsted by one's parent in bestowing benefits. How should there be, seeing that there is no disgrace in being worsted by anyone? We are equal to some men, and yet not equal. Equal in intention, which is all that they care for. Which is all that we promise to be, but unequal in fortune. And if fortune prevents anyone from repaying a kindness, 
he need not therefore blush as though he were vanquished there is no disgrace in failing to reach your object provided you attempt to reach it it often is necessary that before making any return for the benefits which we have received we should ask for new ones yet if so we shall not refrain from asking for them nor shall we do so as though disgraced by so doing because even if we do not repay the debt we shall owe it because even if something from without befalls us to prevent our repaying it it will not be our fault if we are not grateful we can neither be conquered in intention nor can we be disgraced by yielding to what is beyond our strength to contend with alexander the king of the macedonians used to boast that he had never been worsted by anybody in a contest of benefits if so it was no reason why in the fullness of his pride he should despise the macedonians greeks carians persians and other tribes of whom his army was composed nor need he imagine that it was this that gave him an empire reaching from a corner of thrace to the shore of the unknown sea socrates could make the same boast and so could diogenes by whom alexander was certainly surpassed for was he not surpassed on the day when swelling as he was beyond the limits of merely human pride he beheld one to whom he could give nothing from whom he could take nothing king archelaus invited socrates to come to him socrates is reported to have answered that he should be sorry to go to one who would bestow benefits upon him since he should not be able to make him an adequate return for them in the first place socrates was at liberty not to receive them next socrates himself would have been the first to bestow a benefit for he would have come when invited and would have given to archelaus that for which archelaus could have made no return to socrates even if archelaus were to give socrates gold and silver if he learned in return for them to despise gold and silver would not socrates be able to repay archelaus could socrates receive from him as much value as he gave in displaying to him a man skilled in the knowledge of life and of death comprehending the true purpose of each suppose that he had found this king as it were groping his way in the clear sunlight and had taught him the secrets of nature of which he was so ignorant that when there was an eclipse of the sun he up his palace and shaved his son's head which men are wont to do in times of mourning and distress footnote Gertz very reasonably conjectures that he shaved his own head which reading would require a very trifling alteration of the text what a benefit it would have been if he had dragged the terror-stricken king out of his hiding-place and bidden him to be of good cheer saying this is not a disappearance of the sun but a conjunction of two heavenly bodies for the moon which proceeds along a lower path has placed her disk beneath the sun and hidden it by the interposition of her own mass sometimes she only hides a small portion of the sun's disk because she only grazes it in passing sometimes she hides more by placing more of herself before it and sometimes she shuts it out from our sight altogether 
if she passes in an exactly even course between the sun and the earth. Soon, however, their own swift motion will draw these two bodies apart. Soon the earth will receive back again the light of day. And this system will continue throughout centuries, having certain days, known beforehand, upon which the sun cannot display all rays because of the intervention of the moon. Wait only for a short time, he will soon emerge. He will soon leave that seeming cloud, and freely shed abroad his light without any hindrances. Could Socrates not have made an adequate return to Archelaus if he had taught him to reign, as though Socrates would not benefit him sufficiently, merely by enabling him to bestow a benefit upon Socrates? Why then did Socrates say this? Being a joker and a speaker in parables, a man who turned all, especially the great, into ridicule, he preferred giving him a satirical refusal, rather than an obstinate or haughty one, and therefore said that he did not wish to receive benefits from one to whom he could not return as much as he received. He feared, perhaps, that he might be forced to receive something which he did not wish. He feared that it might be something unfit for Socrates to receive. Someone might say, he ought to have said that he did not wish to go. But by doing so, he would have excited against him the anger of an arrogant king, who wished everything connected with himself to be highly valued. It makes no difference to a king whether you be unwilling to give anything to him or to accept anything from him. He is equally incensed at either rebuff and to be treated with disdain is more bitter to a proud spirit than not to be feared. Do you wish to know what Socrates really meant? He, whose freedom of speech could not be borne even by a free state, was not willing of his own choice to become a slave. End of section 14